And hello, everyone. I'm Bridgette Lumbanda from Cape Town in South Africa, and with me is Alison. Hi, I'm Alison Diamond. I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada. We're here Welcome with to Safer. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say welcome everyone to the Safer Social Media Show. We're just shooting the breeze today. That's literally what we're doing. We're talking about what we're planning to do. Um, in the Safer Social Media Show, we plan to talk about how we can apply information, literary skills to online content and how that could empower us to critique what we see. And it also gives us the ultimate freedom from disinformation. Mm-hmm. Alison, this is your brainchild. Um, it was an idea we kind of both had. Mm-hmm. What is it that, wanted to, that made you want to do the show? Um, you know, it was personal. I'm a sociologist, and so I'm always interested in what people are doing and saying, and I love social media. So uh, one of the things that I found being on social media all the time was the amount of disinformation that we're all sharing. And I could not find a good way to inform people that they're sharing disinformation because, and I found studies that support this, people don't like being told they share, they've they shared disinformation. <laughs> so there's no easy way to do it. Um, and yet the problem is proliferating. So I really started studying how we're sharing disinformation, where it's coming from, um, what are the factors involved in that decision that we make to share information. And I've learned that there's like, there's nature that we have to overcome, there's nurture that we have to overcome, the social media architecture um, is encouraging this. Um, so we have some things to overcome and, uh, and that's my exploration to get us free from sharing disinformation. It's gonna take work from all of us. Oh, I totally agree with you. You know, this is this is something that's been a passion project um, of mine for a long time as well. It has pained me for ages you know, one, when you see disinformation, but it's not just the seeing of the disinformation, it's how that affects innocent people mm-hmm. uh, in the process. And and that to me is, is huge. You know, when I see stuff about um, children, for example, it's a particular pain point for me because these kids have no idea what they're getting themselves um, into and how that could affect their future uh, career opportunities. Yeah. You know, kids are so seemingly um, innocent, or they are innocent, and, mm-hmm. and they can't see how that will impact them later on life. But I mean, right. every, I don't know about you, Alison, but every single day, it's as if this issue just keeps escalating. It's on a, on a one-way trajectory just upwards. It's not even yeah. flatlining anyway. It's just climbing. Yeah, I, um, I. It looks like every single day that I'm, you know, looking into this, there's more and more um, being discovered. Um, just recently, Alex Jones of Infowars, um, he claimed in court. This was um, mid late last year. He claimed in court that the reason he was spreading disinformation, you know, about government conspiracies for Sandy Hook and 9-11, he was saying it was caused by psychosis um, 
that was caused by reading so much false information online. So he's suing the families who suffered what? from his, yeah, he's suing the family who suffered from the lies that he told because of his court costs. And yet he's also saying that he did it because of a mental health issue caused by fake news. So oh my it'll gosh. Be, oh yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out and if it affects um, other people who want to claim, you know, how disinformation has mentally affected them because we know people are targeted by it, people suffer, you know, whether it's, um, you know, Dasani water being targeted as having parasites, you know, companies are going to suffer. So these kind of court cases are probably going to start coming up. That would be an interesting case because it's kind of like a double whammy, you know, mm -hmm. him turning it around and yeah. trying to turn himself into the victim. Right, exactly. So um, I just found that to be very interesting. Um, there was a, a good article in the Atlantic today about how um, YouTube does that associative linking where like, you know, similar videos are just stringing one after the other. So you just happen to watch one, which is about a conspiracy theory. And then of course you're gonna get, you know, three, five, 10 more, and you're just gonna be sitting there hearing that same message from different people for who knows how long. I mean, how, how can we say that that's not going to influence somebody to think that's real, you know? So. I know, I've I, I found that as well. You know, you may come across something inadvertently and it kind of um, triggers your, in, your, your interest in that moment. Mm -hmm. And you watch this, you, you end up watching it because it sparked your interest. And the right. next minute you are flabbergasted with this whole series of similar videos that, you know, you had no intention of watching, but it's now there in your face. Yeah, I call it falling down the rabbit hole. And it happens, I'm watching Facebook, uh, one Facebook video from a friend. And before you know it, a half an hour has gone by and I've seen dogs doing this and people doing that and people falling down. It's like, why did I just spend a half an hour watching these videos? Well, you know, imagining that I got sucked into watching you know, conspiracy theory or anti-Trump stuff or pro-Trump stuff, you know, and I'm just seeing a lot of negative stuff or fake news about it. That's, you know, it's going to make it seem to be a lot bigger than it actually is, you know. Somehow they seem to play, you know, I, I don't know, Alison, I don't know what the answer is, but I think, you know, the content providers or the platforms on which the content is made available to us mm -hmm. they use algorithms all of them do they use algorithms to display content to you so yes mm -hmm. i think the content provider has got to take a responsibility but i also think the the the, the company the person that delivers that content to you that are using targeted algorithms to put that content in front of you mm -hmm. must also take responsibility um, and not just shrug that off. Because I know, for example, um, I was talking to someone about this earlier uh, with regards to something on Facebook, mm -hmm. where Facebook is now saying that if you put out content that you are responsible for that. So if you're in a group, for example, 
and I now share something, and I'm just using a wild word here, and I talk about a terror, terrorist group, for example. <clears throat> They're going to hold me, the admin of the group, responsible. Are mm. they now reneging their liability completely and saying, oh, well, you're the content provider. It's entirely your fault. And so if somebody in your group said something, it's now your responsibility and it has nothing to do with us. I don't think that's kind of fair. Yeah, I, um, I, I think part of the problem is that Facebook really started this whole sharing content thing. And they really need to take responsibility for the proliferation of disinformation because they're encouraging us. They've, they've encouraged us from day one to be glued to Facebook by liking, commenting, and sharing. They've taught us that. And by introducing the newsfeed, they've taught us to, you know, stay within this echo chamber and start seeing the same content and start sharing it with our friends and commenting on it. And so they really introduced that whole concept to us. And now that we've been trained to do this and to build a network of people, of like-minded people, which is exactly what Facebook wanted us to do, now I feel like, like you said, they're abdicating their responsibility and saying, hey, now you're responsible for all this stuff that you're sharing. You know, and I I know that in this country, um, and, I, and I don't know what South African laws are, um, but for here, uh, we have freedom of speech, which makes it very difficult to police um, what people are saying, at least on a part of the platforms. They, they can step back and say, we're not responsible for what people publish. Um, do you know of any, what the laws are in South Africa? Well, um, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure, but we also have freedom of speech in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so here's one of the issues that I see as in that somehow we need to find a way of managing this on a global scale. With social media, the pro prolifer pro proliferation of live video in particular, <clears throat> the world has become a global village. And so we almost, in my opinion, need to find um, a treaty, an agreement of some sorts that works on an international basis. Because at one point, I too was the victim of um, a of disinformation mm. uh, on the internet. And I contacted an attorney about it um, because this was, this was now, I'm in South Africa and the other party was in another part of the globe. Mm -hmm. And so he said to me, you know, we've got, a difficulty here because you're falling under one set of of laws and the perpetrator is under a completely different set of laws and so how do we marry the two mm -hmm. um, yeah. you know it's 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 going to be a legal battle that could take many years and that's going to cost you a lot of money and so yeah. you know, are you prepared to invest this kind of money into this and obviously no, I don't have that kind of money. And so my fear with that kind of thing is that perpetrators may well be aware of this transboundary global conflict that we currently have mm -hmm. and then take advantage of the fact that it's not that easy to prosecute across boundaries. Yeah, I um, we were talking about this before. 
um, with Interpol, you know, the international police. Yeah, something like, um, you know, some global um, oversight um, does need to be done because like you said, it's just too easy to slip through loopholes and um, not be easy to trace. I, I just, I don't know technically how that would be done, but I think it's crucial. Uh, otherwise, we're going to start closing off, you know, access to different countries, which is what other countries do. And I can't see us doing that in this country. I just don't see us doing that. But other countries will do that, you know. I don't think that's the want. answer necessarily. No, me you know, I don't think it's the answer. Not not the way that we're going. You know, we moving towards artificial intelligence and everything that's electronic. So. That is not, and you don't. You certainly don't want to move into a situation of censorship where people don't have freedom of speech. I think freedom right. of speech is particularly uh, important, mm -hmm. but that freedom of speech um, has got to be um, tempered with a sense of responsibility, exactly. where it doesn't encroach on someone else's freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think there needs to be something uh, regarding disinformation. And I know that uh, the platforms have a really difficult time. Um, and that's something that we'll discuss on the show, different ways that platforms can, you know, help to check information before it spreads too far, um, ways that we uh, don't wait for our platforms to do this for us, ways that we can educate ourselves and your, use our own literacy skills to catch the stuff and not allow it to proliferate because we don't want to help the people who create these things. And that, that's what we do when we share this information. Now, that's a great point that you mentioned there. I'm often um, personally gobsmacked a little. Now, sometimes you see something, and, and especially if there's a period where things are kind of, like when you're going through an election, for example, just by way of example, um, and somebody wants to try and swing the votes, they're going to try and find disinformation on someone as a means of swinging the votes. Mm -hmm. And because it's an emotional time, people will neglect to do fact checking because, you know, it was on, I saw it on the internet. Exactly. But most of the times it will literally take you just a few minutes to go and Google it and you'll quickly find out it's disinformation, but people are not taking the time people. So that's why I feel um, we need to develop an internal compass mm -hmm. where we do checking before we quickly hit that share button and, and, and not right. to be so quick because somebody says share to just go and share it without checking, you know, exactly. we, too, we click on the button to share. Um, Definitely. Because, you know, if I mean, there are, there are sites, for example, that specializes in fact-checking that are available. I know in South Africa, for example, uh, there's a very reputable site called Afri AfriCheck or Africa Check, mm -hmm. um, and, and they will go and check and they will post a report and say, well, we examined it and these are the facts and mm -hmm. that is the story. But there's, there's many of those out there. It's not just that one. All over the world there are uh, sites dedicated to fact checking right. but I think it's finding ways of developing the culture of getting people to go and use those sites to check before they share definitely and to me that's where information literacy 
comes into play. Um, you'll hear media literacy, digital literacy, news literacy, all of those things are about learning to think a different way about the content that we see and then how to act once you have you know, consumed this content. It's gotta be different than what we've been doing. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, 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 it's people, we're so impulsive. I don't know what it is. It's kind of, we see something and oh, let me share it. You know, this looks mm -hmm. nice. Now, there yep. was one classic example that I saw earlier today. I'm not sure. I think I shared it with you. There was a classic example of where currently, you know, racial hatred or racial anomalies or whatever you want to call it is always going to be a factor. And it's mm -hmm. always going to be a hot topic. Always. I don't think it's ever going to end. It's yeah. just been there since Pa fell off the bus. And we always have to be cognitive of this racial uh, tension. That's mm -hmm. always looming. It just takes one little spark to ignite racial tension. It doesn't take a lot. So That's in true. the light of that, for example, now with, with the, I mean, with the whole Trump thing going and the war with Mexico and whatnot, someone posted online um, a picture of, or this is how they described it anyway. They said this is a picture of immigrants beating up on a car of a politician. And mm. it was information and it spread like wildfire because now it seemed to play into this whole Trump wall thing and why immigrants shouldn't be allowed. And it turns out that that video was a segment from a movie. It had nothing to do with immigrants. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's not uncommon. And that's where, you know, we just have to stop being so trusting. We do, like you said earlier, we see something, we believe it's true, and it hits us emotionally, and we hit that share button. Like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. You know, and, um, and once you let that out in the wild, you can't just take it back. You know, and when you print that retraction or show a retraction video or a post, the less people, fewer people are going to see that correction than saw the original post. And that's, you know, and that's a fact. That's that's actually been studied. Um, the lies will travel farther and more quickly than the truth. So we have to be so careful about what we share. And and that doesn't well, go just for, yeah, yeah, it's not just for the, the really, um, you know, the, the spark, stuff like, uh, you know, politics and, and racial um, relations. It's for things like health news, too. So many, you know, false health news information goes around, and that's harmful. It, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't think we're ever going to run out of any topics to talk about, Alison, because they, I don't think so. <laughs> it's just, you know, I mean, health, just as you said now, health is one huge, big topic um health yep. diet um you know Safety. body image mm -hmm. there's the topics are simply endless and the disinformation is absolutely um endless you know yeah. um and you know one thing that pains me that that i've seen um happens a lot in south africa i'm not quite sure how much of it you see there but the thing that pains me a lot currently here is we see so many violent videos of children at school. You mm. know, violent situations where kids are beating up on ch on other kids, picking yes. on kids. Um, situations where 
um, a teacher may have smacked a, a child and it's taken out of context mm -hmm. um, or vice versa, whatever. You know, people don't know the facts, but they see a video and they think, oh, oh, this shouldn't be happening. Let's share it. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's, that's where we need to start changing the way we do things mm -hmm. so that we hit the pause button first so that we stop that culture of instinctively sharing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that starts with us. We can't wait for, um, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram to save us from ourselves. Now that's an important thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's, that's, you've hit it on the button right there. You know, we're all sitting back and we're waiting for Facebook to do something, we're waiting for YouTube to do something, we're waiting for Twitch to do something. Mm -hmm. But change can happen from within because yeah. we are the consumers. Without us, there will be no YouTube, there will be no Facebook without us. Yeah. So we're actually underestimating the power that we have as the consumer. And mm -hmm. we can actually force change if we not, if 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 we use our consumer power, we can change the landscape of Facebook. We can change the landscape of Twitter. We can change the landscape mm -hmm. of um, of YouTube or any of these platforms. Yeah. Um, and so perhaps we should talk more about taking ownership. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, in our upcoming episodes we'll talk about the different ways that we're going to approach and way people are already approaching this issue from more of a grassroots level. Because like I said, we can't wait for the platform or legislation to develop, you know, to get this stuff to stop. We're going to have to do it ourselves. And there are people, um, hopefully we'll get some really great interviews too, people who are actually doing this on their own, just starting their own campaigns and getting other people on board. I think it's, um, you know, I mean, the time is ripe for that. We do have to take matters into our own hands and make things better. Alison, I do believe that there are many people out there doing similar things as us. Mm -hmm. And I think it will be great if we can find those people and collaborate with them um, because they strengthen numbers. So the more of us that are speaking the same language, yep. the better. Most definitely. Um, yeah. So I think it's a great idea that we start reaching out to those people and we invite them onto the show. Let's have the conversation. Mm -hmm. We can have, um, I look forward to having panel conversations. Yeah. Yeah. With and I, I, I hope our listeners and viewers and um, everybody who reviews uh, this, you know, weekly show will also take part. I mean, your comments, your questions, your ideas, your topic suggestions, all of those things are important because we're all in this together. This is for us. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So we were just shooting the breeze on the conversation, letting you know what we're planning to do. And with this will be a weekly show. If you have any comments, if you have any suggestions, if you have any people that you if you would like to participate, if you'd like to be a panelist, if you have a suggestion of someone that we can invite onto the show, any of those things, then please feel free to reach out to us. Do you have anything to say in closing, Alison? 
Um, no, just that I look forward to um, all the topics we're going to explore, and I think it's going to be really interesting and exciting. Fantastic. Thanks for joining us, everyone, and we will see you soon. Thank <laughs> you.